0: Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Well, how many of you would like to have more love in your life? And maybe more happiness, too. Well, my guess is that would be all of us. So this week is week number five of our six-week series based on the book Masterclass Lessons by Unity Minister Reverend Ernest Wilson. And so far in these foundational lessons, we've covered prayer, giving, receiving, and healing. And if you've missed any one of these lessons, you can find them all here on the Unity of Fairfax website. Just click on the video archive. I also want to give a big shout out to our metaphysical group that meets on Zoom at 10 a.m. on Sundays for also taking a deep dive into these lessons as well. Well, in today's message, we're covering a wonderful four-letter word, L-O-V-E. And the results of living and living successfully in the consciousness of love, which is happiness. But when we're discussing love, it's really important to know what form of love we are actually talking about. Because as Andy Williams famously sung, love is a many-splendored thing. I might do one more impersonation today, but that might be it. Uh, I see a reaction here for those of us in the room. that maybe wasn't such a good idea. Well, depending on which source you use, there are any number of different types of love, but seven are the most common, and they are as follows. Um, wait a minute. I'm looking at my notes. Ah, my notes are changing. I'm using a new teleprompter app, and this is really great. I just have to learn how to use it effectively. So here are the seven types of love. Eros, which is romantic love. Philia, which is friendship. Storge, which is familial love. Agape, which is universal love. Ludus, which is playful love. Pragma, which is pragmatic love. And philaltia, self-love. Let's do a quick review. So eros is the sexual or passionate love that we'll really talk more about next week as we talk about Valentine's Day. It's the modern construct of romance. And in ancient Greek myths, one considered it a form of madness brought about by being attacked with one of Cupid's arrows. Now philia, the second type of love, is friendship or shared goodwill. Friendship is grounded on the idea of goodness and associated not only with mutual benefit, but with companionship, dependability, and trust. And your true friends will tell you exactly how it is, and you'll be willing to listen to them. The third type of love is storge. Also known as familial love, it's, the kind of, it's a form of philia pertaining to the love between parents and children or between people and their pet children. More broadly, storge is born out of familiarity or even dependency. The fourth type of love, agape, is universal love, such as the love for strangers or nature or God Agape can be said to encompass the modern idea of altruism as defined as unselfish concern for the welfare of others. The fifth form, ludus, comes from the Latin word ludus, which means game or school. It is kind of a playful, uncommitted form of love, and it can involve such things as teasing, flirtation, seducing, and, you know, any number of different things associated with fun or conquest. It's also considered love with no strings attached. Now, trust me, that's a different talk for a different day. Number six is pragma. It gives us the word pragmatic. So pragma is a kind of practical love founded on reason or duty or one's longer-term interests. In the days and times of arranged marriages, pragma was very common in that it solidified political or economic alliances. Although the polar opposite of romantic love, it still exists and is fairly widespread and most visible in certain high-profile celebrity or political marriages. And number seven, philatia, is self-love. And self-love, as we know, can be healthy or unhealthy. I want to talk more about self-love. In fact, that's where we want to spend most of our time today. According to Dr. Neil Burton, who is the source of my for my information about these seven types of love, unselfish, I mean, unhealthy self-love is akin to hubris. In ancient Greek, people could be a Greece, people could be accused of hubris if they placed themselves above the gods, or like certain modern politicians, above the greater good. And because it does not accord with truth, hubris promotes injustice, conflict and enmity. Many ancients believed, and people still believe, that hubris led and leads to destruction, known in Greek as nemesis. Healthy self-love, on the other hand, is akin to healthy self-esteem, which is our cognitive and, above all, emotional appraisal of our own self-worth. Dr. Burton says, people with healthy self-esteem do not need to prop themselves up with externals such as income or status or notoriety or lean on crutches such as alcohol or drugs or sex. They are able to invest themselves completely in projects and people because they don't fear failure or rejection. Of course, they suffer setbacks and hurt and disappointments, but their setbacks neither damage nor diminish them. Owing to their resilience, they are open to growth experiences and relationships, tolerant of risk, quick to joy and delight, and accepting and forgiving of themselves and others. So we can conclude, therefore, that healthy self-love is the foundation to happiness. Thank you for joining us today at Unity of Fairfax. (laughs) Well, if only it were that easy. (laughs) If only. Ernest Wilson, the author of the material we're studying in this series, Masterclass Lessons, writes, Of all the forms of love, self-love is the one most often viewed with disapprobation. We don't use that word a lot anymore, disapprobation. Its abuses are very apparent. They sure are, aren't they? Selfishness, arrogance, entitlement, greed, egotism, narcissism, lack of empathy. And the fact is that without healthy self-love, all those seven other forms of love, six other forms of love, run the risk of becoming dysfunctional and top toxic. And no doubt, if you've been around the block a time or two, you've encountered what we might say is tainted love. A song recorded by Gloria Jones in 1965, a Motown singer, and the British duo Soft Cell in 1981. There is, though, a natural development of self-love. One that in many ways mirrors the awakening of kundalini energy throughout the chakras. Wilson says, on the physical plane, it is simply most, it is most simply self-preservation. Think root chakra. On the mental plane, we see it as the zeal for knowledge. And on the spiritual plane, it is the recognition of spiritual identity. These are all good and important for our progress. He goes on to say, our desire to avoid pain and death, our desire for self-improvement, our desire to persist are manifestations of self-love. They can lead to great heights of unselfish attainment, but they can also lead to less admirable things. But let us not say that self-love is wrong, but that it is often wrongly expressed. Self-love, like other forms of love, has to grow up. It's on the spiritual plane that the maturation and healing of self-love occur. Now, fortunately for those of us in unity, the keys to that process are embedded in our foundational five basic principles. Unity's first principle says God is the only true presence and power in the universe. I like to add that God isn't good, but God is goodness itself. And that's the ultimate and lasting power. We might experience something else, but that something else is transitory. Unity's second principle says we, every one of us, is an individualized expression of God. Our divine potential and spiritual essence are called the Christ. In other words, each one of us is inherently good. Or as I actually prefer to say, each one of us is an individualized expression of the creative magnificence of the universe. Yeah, it's got a nice ring to it. If you want to read about the other five, the rest of the principles, they're on our website, this website. One of these tabs, the one that says About Us, so I don't know what the screen looks like, but it's the About Us tab. Well, all that being said, there are two significant challenges to this proposition that self love leads to happiness. The first is that many people, too many people, over the course of their lives, come to believe something about themselves other than their inherent goodness. This might be due to struggles simply for self-preservation, owing to abuse, neglect, disease, discrimination, poverty, war, addiction, or some other difficult chronic condition as a consequence of these situational or systemic attacks to their well-being, their self-love and capacity to love others may be negatively impacted. And it may even become unhealthy. And it may even become destructive. That still doesn't change the truth of their inherent goodness. It does mean, though, that they... I, you, we, will need to invest tremendous energy uncovering and accepting our inherent magnificence and then living life from that consciousness. It also means releasing the negative coping mechanisms that may have been developed to survive whatever came before the acceptance of their true nature it's a lot of work. But there's a slogan in 12-step recovery circles that speaks to this effort and really cuts to the chase. And that slogan is this. It works when you work it, and you're worth it. It works when you work it, and you're worth it. You might want to affirm that for yourself. It works when I work it. And I'm worth it. The second challenge that comes whenever we as individuals accept our inherent magnificence is the responsibility to serve and support others. It's not a case of, I'm so wonderful, me, 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 me. End of subject. As Paul said in his letter to the Galatians, For you were called to freedom, my brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom for self-indulgence, but through love become servants to one another. Now the material for Masterclass Lessons, Ernest Wilson put it this way. We must love ourselves so much that we shall be loving and unselfish towards others and unwilling to ensure our own good at their expense. We must transform foolish pride, which we would call arrogance, into pride of such dignity that it will not stoop to anything mean or common, or unworthy of the kind of person we spiritually sense ourselves to be. I love that. It's an inspired call for each of us to be persons of dignity and integrity in our dealings, not only with ourselves, but with others as well. And yes, sometimes we stumble. It's important to pick ourselves back up. And get on the path. Yeah, but this thing about loving all others as well, now that's a problem. <laughs> For literally thousands of years, faith leaders and philosophers both have been conveying a message such as this. And yet it appears that there is something akin to the, a wound in the consciousness of humanity that gets passed from generation to generation that perpetuates selfishness and greed and violence and prejudice. Is it really too hard to follow Jesus' injunction to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, maybe not. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe people really do love their neighbor as themselves. As I've already shared, and as clergy and clinicians will attest, humanity is difficult with this most fundamental expression of love. Whenever I see people engaging in mean or manipulative or misanthropic behaviors, I wonder to myself, what must their self-talk be like What's going on between their ears? Are they kind and gentle with themselves, or are they just as critical and cruel in their self-talk? Perhaps that's why people act out the way they do. And think about it. What happens when enough angry, frightened, wounded people get together? You've read the news. You've seen the papers and the news feeds. I don't have to tell you what that leads to. But I wonder if that's also why Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what we roared do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same all right jesus that's kind of a low blow to the irs but we'll let it pass and do not even the gentiles do the same he was speaking to a largely jewish audience and saying don't they do the same thing he's making some comparisons that people would understand and he's saying we have to be better than that We have to raise the consciousness of love to a higher vibration. If we want to get out of this quagmire of us and them, if we want to heal forms of divisiveness, we must love one another. We don't have to like what one another are doing, but we don't get a pass for not loving them. He concludes that passage by saying, be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, in the Greek in which this passage was written, the word for perfect, teleos, means this, consummate human virtue and dignity. Consummate human virtue and dignity. Express that through your love. In his discourse on spiritual gifts found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul concludes by saying, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's face it. In the country and in the world right now, the consciousness of divisiveness seems to be everywhere. And I can't help but wonder if at the root of this manifestation of divisiveness is some collective soul that many people have been holding, some connective soul wound that is now being revealed so that it can be healed. Deep wounds take tremendous energy to heal. And I think that's why we're here, co creating a world that works for everyone, envisioning a world of peace, abundance, and respect for all creation, awakening each life to the Christ within. And yet it can feel overwhelming, can't it? I was lamenting this the other day. I was sitting at a friend's dining room table, we were having lunch, and I was just acknowledging it's tiring. And she looked me right in the eyes. No, she looked me right in the heart and just reminded me of the truth. She said, all you have to do is be the light. Be the light. I struggled to connect with those words in that moment. No doubt because my fixation on the facts of the day Although the words she shared are words I use often. And then it dawned on me. Grounding myself, grounding ourselves in self-love and extending that love to others. Even as Jesus said, your enemies is how we be the light. It may not be easy. It may not seem to yield an immediate result but it is powerful, it is palpable, and it makes a difference. So much like the homework Ms. Wolf gave her class, I'm giving to you and to me. Be the light, be the light, regardless of the facts. Be the light. Peace be with you and namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax Podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or... View our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.